Welcome to Fantastic History. I'm Clay. I'm Sarah. We are a husband and wife duo who enjoy telling each other about amazing events, people, and mysteries throughout history. So Sarah, I've got a very exciting story to tell you about, but I do want to warn the listeners that I'm a bit sniffly. (laughs) So if you hear any sniffles or anything like that, that is why. It's allergy season, guys. Yeah, it's, it's happening. You can't stop it. Okay, so Sarah... Yeah. The year is 1850. Oh, good. And a Scottish immigrant named Alan has just been named the first police detective in Chicago after he investigated a band of counterfeiters in Dundee where he was still just a private citizen. Interesting. He was fascinated with the detective work, and this led him to begin his own private detective agency called the Northwestern Police Agency. Okay. It would later go under a different name, bearing his own last name, the Pinkerton National (gasps) Detective Agency. Ooh, Pinkertons! Oh my God, I'm so excited! Beginning in 1850, Pinkerton still exists today. Oh yeah. Though now as a personal security and risk management firm. And while there are many stories to tell throughout the agency's long and very infamous history... I want to focus on one of the agency's best detectives and quite possibly the agency's most important case. Okay. So this story begins in October 1856. Pinkerton agency offices have opened all across the U.S., primarily being employed by railroads who needed Pinkerton to protect their lines from train robberies. Oh, yeah. As their lines ventured further into the Wild West. Mm -hmm. Pinkerton men were not just private detectives. They were also private security. And the work was good, but exhausting and dangerous. Oh, to say the least. Yeah. So one afternoon, Kate Warren arrived at his office in Chicago, stating that she was answering an ad in the paper for employment. Oh, my God. He described her in the book, uh, The Spy of the Rebellion, as a slender, brown-haired woman with dark blue eyes. Not what could be called handsome, but a commanding person with an honest face, self-possessed in her manner. Now, this is pretty important because we do not have any photographs of Kate Warren. Oh, man. We only have like some drawings, Mm -hmm. but we don't have any pictures. So we don't for sure know exactly what she looked like besides these descriptions. Okay. Anyway, Pinkerton told her that unfortunately they were not hiring any secretaries at this time. Oh, fuck you. (laughs) Oh, boy. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. But Warren was not there to be a secretary. Yeah. She was there to become a detective. (laughs) This surprised Pinkerton because, well, women have never come to him asking for this type of employment. Uh And the work was very dangerous and rough and physically demanding and not the kind of work that a woman would be interested in or skilled in in 1856. Warren's sales pitch was this. A female detective may go and worm out secrets in ways that are impossible for male detectives. A criminal may hide all traces of his guilt from his fellow men, but he will not hide it from his wife or mistress. Ooh. A female detective makes her acquaintance, wins her confidence, and draws out the story of the wrongdoing. Hell yeah. And he had to admit she was right. Mm-hmm. But the work of the detective was still very dangerous. Pinkerton himself had been shot in the line of duty, and he had reservations about exposing Warren to these dangers. Mm-hmm. So he said, let me think about it. Come back tomorrow. And as Pinkerton thought it over, he became more convinced that a female detective would indeed be advantageous. So the huh. following day, Kate Warren became America's first female detective. Woo-hoo-hoo! 
Now, not much is known about Kate's early life, but we know about her impact going forward. Warren quickly became an invaluable asset to the agency, showing remarkable versatility in her methods. Her first major assignment was to assist in the recovery of a substantial amount of money that had been disappearing from the Adams Express deliveries. Uh-oh. These were not simple robberies. The money was placed into locked pouches and then handed to an expressman for delivery. The expressman didn't have a key. Mm-hmm. But upon delivery of the empty envelope, they saw there was no evidence of tampering. Weird. The vice president of the Adams Express Company, Edward Sanford, wrote to Pinkerton for advice on the subject, and Pinkerton concluded that the only logical explanation is that the money probably never made it into the pouch in the first place. Yeah, that makes sense. And then a year later, Sanford wrote again, stating that the problem was only getting worse, and they needed an an agent there immediately. Oh, boy. In fact, he had already determined that the thief must be his office manager, a man named Nathan Maroney. But he had very little evidence. And he couldn't, uh, he didn't know where the money was either. Mm-hmm. Maroney had been hiding. Pinkerton decided this was a case for Kate Warren. Because the real key to finding the money and securing the conviction of Nathan Maroney was Mrs. Maroney. Oh. Pinkerton's men got to work finding where Mrs. Maroney was. Then Warren got to her own work, renting a room at a boarding house under the same town as Ms. Maroney was in, and posing as the wife of a southern businessman who was in prison for forgery. Oh, my. Okay. Creating a a bit of a similar tale to work off of. She quickly made friends, and this turned into deep confidence. Meanwhile, another agent had befriended Maroney in jail, and Maroney had asked him to get a bunch of money from his wife. So, sorry, why is Maroney in jail? Oh, Maroney was uh, put in jail under the suspicion. Oh, of being. Uh, oh, the, the the issue was they had enough suspicion to arrest him, but they didn't believe they had enough. Um, they didn't have enough evidence to convict him. Interesting, but they could hold him anyway. They could hold him uh, until trial, which was going to be very, which was going to be very soon. Okay, it's, okay. it's not like it was going to draw it for years. Gotcha. So he was in jail at the moment, and this undercover agent was in his cell with him, and Mar- and they had been talking and gaining trust that way too. Okay. And Maroney had asked him to get because 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 the, the undercover agent was saying he was going to be out soon. Gotcha. So Maroney's plan was, he thought he could trust this guy, mm-hmm. and said, "Go to go to my wife, and ask her to give you this mu- a bunch of money and give it to my lawyer." And my lawyer will be able to will be able to use this money to get me out. Okay. But Mrs. Maroney was not very keen on the on this idea because she was enjoying her freedom to <laughs> see her suitors. Yeah. At her leisure. Get them, girl. So it all fell on Warren. She would have to persuade Mrs. Maroney to give up the money before Maroney's case went to trial, where it was would certainly fail. Oh. Because they didn't have the most important evidence, the money. Right. If they could find the money. Then they could certainly convict him. Gotcha. Warren appealed to uh, Mrs. Maroney's wifely duties to help her husband, but Mrs. Maroney was not moved by this at all. Yeah, I get it. Instead, she wanted to run away with Warren (laughs) and live together in Louisiana. (gasps) Oh, that's so fun. But finally, after about three days of almost nonstop pleading, Mrs. Maroney broke and gave her money to the undercover agent 
who she thought was going to help her husband get out of jail. Victory was complete, but Warren's facilities had been strained to the utmost in accomplishing it. And she felt and she was just completely exhausted by all of this. Yeah. Uh, but she had the proud satisfaction of knowing that a woman had received the honors of the day. Pretty exciting story. It is, yeah. Pinkerton was so impressed with her skill that he appointed Warren the superintendent of an entire women's division. Whoa. An entire uh, detective bureau in Chicago. Oh, my God. Um, now, in eight, uh, February 1861... Warren and another female agent named Hattie Lawton joined Pinkerton himself and two other agents on a very important and dangerous assignment. Samuel Felton, the president of Philadelphia, Wilmingham, and Baltimore Railroad, had hired Pinkerton to investigate a threat by Confederate secessionists. I know about this. To sabotage his rail lines and bridges. Yeah. I was thinking, oh, February 1861. This is not going anywhere good. That's true. All right. Now, Pinkerton was a staunch abolitionist. It said that his house in uh, Chicago was even part of the Underground Railroad. Oh, nice. So his loyalties were directly with the Union. Right. Baltimore was a hotbed of secessionist activity. Oh, yeah. So the threat was serious enough to require the work of five expert agents. But while they were there, blending in with the Baltimore locals to learn about the secret plan, they discovered a more sinister plot than just property damage. Now, while their agents fanned out into the city, posing as Confederate loyalists and rubbing shoulders with those who knew the more dangerous organizations operating out of Baltimore. Um, This included like the National Volunteers, which was a paramilitary organization. Oh. And another one that I love the name of, the Anti-Lincoln Knights of the Golden Circle. (laughs) Sounds like something out of the Lord of the Rings. uh, (laughs) Maybe without the Lincoln part. Right, yeah. He was not involved. The Anti-Gandalf Ring of the Golden Circle. (laughs) Knights of the Golden Circle. Knights of the Golden Circle. Brilliant. <laughs> okay. Now, these organizations weren't just interested in, weren't just like anti-Lincoln or um, th- th- their goal was to overthrow the government with violence, specifically with violence. Familiar. Because at this point, Lincoln was elected. Right, yeah. So, Kate Warren posed as a wealthy Southerner using various aliases like Mrs. Barley and Mrs. Cherry to gain access into the Baltimore elite rings. Mrs. Cherry. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I like to think she's also doing like a Blanche Devereaux. You could imagine like the it, accent. Right? Like just incredible. Okay. Pinkerton agent Tip- uh, Timothy Webster infiltrated the militia undercover with Haiti, uh, posing as his wife. And Pinkerton and another agent named Harry Davis infiltrated so deep into the underground of these militias that they were regarded as trusted friends and came to know the leader of the secret organization was a man named Captain Soprano Ferrandini. That is a name, boy. That is solid. Oh, my God. And he laid out his intentions quite clearly. Now, Sarah's already following along, but you at home, remember, this is 1861. This is right after six states have seceded from the Union and two months before the beginning of the Civil War. Abraham Lincoln was elected in November and is to be inaugurated in on March 4th. And his election is what prompted South Carolina to secede first and others to follow. 
and there were many who hated him so much that they wanted to be responsible for him not living to see his first day in office. Why is this so familiar? familiar? Yeah. God, that's so pathetic. So this is what's known as the Baltimore Plot. Oh, boy. As it would come to be known. It was the plan to assassinate the president-elect while en route to his inauguration. Oh, boy. So Kate Warren assisted in um, c- compiling a staggering amount of evidence as well, which persuaded Pinkerton that the plot was real and not just a fantasy or a toothless threat of which there were many against Lincoln at this time. The assassination was to take place in Baltimore during Lincoln's whistle-stop tour, which would end at the Capitol for his inauguration. Lincoln would have to change trains in the city of Baltimore, exposing him to the public. And the details of the plot were to create a distraction to divert attention of the police away from Lincoln, allowing an opening for a small group to ambush him and either stab him or shoot him or both. God, that's horrifying. And then they would quickly make their escape in the chaos. Uh Pinkerton's knowledge of the plot had to be kept secret, though, because if the enemy were to find out that they had been foiled, Mm -hmm. they would just create an alternate plan that Pinkerton didn't know about. And they had to ensure that those who knew the truth were few. So Kate Warren was sent out to inform a Lincoln confidant who has been traveling with him during this tour, a man named Norman Judd. Uh, he would have to know of the plot in secret because he was going to be one of the only people with Lincoln who was going to know about it. Oh, God. And at this point, even Lincoln didn't know. Yeah, I if if I was Lincoln, I would not want to know. Yeah. Please do not ever tell me something <laughs> like that, ever. Now, upon learning the plot, Judd was obviously terrified, but Warren assured him that America's best detectives were on the case. Pinkerton also informed Samuel Felton, the man who had first hired him to uh, investigate the sabotaging of his rail lines, mm-hmm. because he knew Felton was, a, was loyal to Lincoln and having an ally in transportation was going to be invaluable. Oh, no kidding. So the tour started on February 21st aboard the Lincoln Express train uh. and was scheduled to pass through Baltimore on the 23rd. Lincoln was um, was to travel to Philadelphia on the first day, and this is where Pinkerton was going to meet him. That evening, Pinkerton waited in his room after Lincoln had retired for the night. And he waited. And after a while, Judd entered, and behind him entered a familiar tall man. That was Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. Now, Lincoln ha- and Pinkerton had uh, had met once before a long time ago, so their greeting was very courteous and familiar. Mm. And this is where Pinkerton laid out the plan to Lincoln that the Baltimore plot was going to take place uh, in two days. Don't tell him! Ugh. And that he, he had to get the president-elect through the city safely that very night. Oh, they they wanted to leave enough time to get they wanted to get through Baltimore before the assassination were to take place. Okay, throw everything off. Makes sense. But they have to leave that night and it was already like nine o'clock. Right. Bedtime. But Lincoln said he couldn't go that night. He had engagements tomorrow, but he could go the following night. (laughs) Okay. Well, this was certainly a problem for Pinkerton because he had planned to get Lincoln through Baltimore safely over a long course of time. Right. A whole day and a half, really. But what could he do? Mm. Tell Lincoln no. Right. Good luck. Yeah, right. He would, have, he would have to come up with a new plan, but the idea was the same. Get Lincoln through Baltimore in secret before the assassination were to take place. 
The following day, when according to plan, Lincoln rose the flag over Independence Hall, visited the legislature at Harrisburg, and dined with the governor at Jones House Hotel. At 5.45, Lincoln excused himself for the evening. Then he gathered his belongings and changed into an old overcoat, put a shawl over his arm, and replaced his signature stovepipe hat with a soft wool hat. Okay, but you're still like 20 feet tall. Yes. Friend, like you're, you're not going to, I appreciate it. You're not going to blend in. Well, we'll, we will see. Then he, just because it works doesn't mean he blended in. He's freaking Lincoln. Then he, Judd, and Lincoln's bodyguard, Ward Hill Lamon, walked out the side entrance of the hotel and into a waiting carriage. The plan was meticulous. The team would have to make two train changes, cover over 200 miles in one night, and they couldn't rely on the Lincoln Express because it would attract attention. Right. Meaning the president-elect would have to travel on regular passenger trains. Oh, Lord. In secret. Oh, boy. Meanwhile, in Philadelphia, the train conductor had been instructed by the railroad owner, Samuel Felton, to hold the train for the arrival of a special courier, which was going to arrive at 11 o'clock with a very important piece of parcel. (laughs) You've never seen a parcel this size in your life. It's going to blow your mind. This is a huge parcel. (laughs) Well... (laughs) Well, just in case you're wondering, because uh, their schedule was running very tight, Mm -hmm. they were afraid they wouldn't reach Philadelphia in time to meet the train. So the parcel was there as a contingency. But in fact, they had made a special parcel, a special box. Oh. I think there was just like old railroad logs in it. Just some socks. Just nothing. Just dirty laundry. But they had to make it seem real. Yeah. Also, um, the Philadelphia Exchange would have to take place in public, in plain sight of passengers and crew. Mm-hmm. So for this, they turned to Kate Warren. She bribed a conductor to reserve the back half of the last train for her invalid brother. Oh. Who would need comfort and privacy. Uh-huh. And this would ensure they would have the privacy that they needed, or at least as much as they could get. Right. As Lincoln Party departed Harrisburg on a small train, the telegraph line between Harrisburg and Baltimore was cut. <gasps> this was to ensure that if anyone realized the ruse oh. in Harrisburg, they could not send word ahead. Okay. Their small train shot across the state at full speed ahead, which actually turned out to be a bad thing because they arrived in Philadelphia too early. Oh. So they had to ride around in a carriage for about an hour. Oh, Lord. Because they couldn't just linger around. It was still it was still early in the morning, but you know there were still people yeah, getting like on the and off trains. Yeah, longest hour of their life too. Yeah, so they had Oof. to they had to hop in a carriage and just ride around the city mm-hmm. with, with with Lincoln like like wedged in between Pinkerton <laughs> and Lamon on his just, side, just curled up on the floorboard. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, they did make it to PWNB Depot where they met Kate Warren, who greeted the president as her invalid brother <laughs> because Lincoln had to. Uh, had to hunch over. Well, yeah. To avoid being like, oh, that, that there's a very tall man over there. Who is that? <laughs> so that was that was the idea. It, okay. But it seemed to work. Y- yeah. They, they were not noticed, and they were able to get in the car, and the train departed not two minutes later. Wow. After the very important package had been delivered. Of course, yeah, the dirty song. The trip to Baltimore took four and a half hours, and it seemed pretty uncomfortable, not just because they ha- barely had a curtain separating Abraham Lincoln and a Shaw <laughs> from the other passengers, 
But also, uh, he was not able to get any sleep because the beds in this car were not made for a six foot four man. <laughs> I'm sorry. Lincoln, Lamon, Pinkerton, and Warren all laid down, and the story goes that Kate Warren specifically stayed up through the whole journey. And after the story put Pinkerton Detective Agency in the public eye, the agency adopted an open eye as their logo, along with the slogan, We Never Sleep. Ooh, I just got chills. Yeah. Now, if that's all true or not, I don't know. I would I would imagine that it would be pretty difficult for anyone to, 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 to sleep during this trip. Uh-huh. But... Needless to say, the train did arrive in Baltimore, and the the plane. Now, if you remember, because when I, when I was researching this, um, these two things I, I didn't notice until like I was reading through it the last time. Mm-hmm. Lincoln was going to have to change trains in Baltimore, right? Which was when the assassination was going to take place, right? But Felton had set it up so that he wouldn't have to train to uh, ch- change trains. Okay, he set it up so the train th- their train car would would be detached entirely and moved to the other train by horses. Oh. That way they could stay inside. Right. But this took longer than expected because the train was late. Uh Uh-oh. And as they all laid waiting in this this dark car, they could hear the outside world waking up, getting busier, and occasionally a song like Dixie would be heard. Oh, God. Reminding them that they were hiding in unfriendly territory. Oh, my God. I would be throwing up all over the place. Now, apparently during this whole thing, Lincoln did have a bit of, you know, not just during this one part, but like the whole thing. He he, he had a bit of a, um, you know, he, he was making some lighthearted conversation. He mm-hmm. wasn't just like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. <laughs> yeah. He was keeping spirits bright, which which apparently was appreciated by Pinkerton and the other uh, the other people working. I guess that's why it's okay to tell somebody like Abraham Lincoln, but not okay to tell somebody like me. <laughs> I would not have stopped screaming over the entire two days. Yeah, well, you you'd have to tell it eventually because like, where are we going in the middle of the night? Don't worry about it. Yeah, Mr. President. Fun game. It's a fun it's game. Just, You'll love it. We're playing a fun game. It's a surprise. I'll tell you when we get there. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. <laughs> so every second they remained in Baltimore, they were more and more at risk of the sun coming up, someone peeking inside and being found out. And if that were to happen, it would only be the three of them to protect the president oh. from from a mob. Yuck. If a mob appeared. Right. But this was unfriendly land. Yeah. Finally, the train did arrive and the president was taken away to Washington safely. The Baltimore Ooh. plot had indeed been foiled. But Kate Warren's story does not end here. She continued to work for the Pinkerton Detective Agency as superintendent of female detectives at her established Cincinnati branch and worked throughout the Civil War on the side of the Union. In addition to training female detectives, she continued to work on high-profile cases, going undercover to become friends with women to draw out secrets and clues. Ooh. In one case, two women were suspected of attempting to poison one of their husbands. So Kate assumed the role of a fortune teller. Oh, okay. Uh, to, uh, you know, and under that guy's gain information about them and, and their lives and eventually get enough information to 
lead to an arrest. I like to picture. So she's like in all her shawls with like the little gold coin beads on them. And she's got like a crystal ball on her table. She's like doing tarot cards or whatever. And then she like slides one across the table. She's like, this is your card. And they turn it over. And like the picture is a pair of handcuffs. (laughs) (laughs) And then the other agents bust in and like arrest this lady. I just, yeah. In my fan fiction, that's what happened. Yeah, that's a good one. Thank you. That would work really well. I think so. However, uh, Warren died at the young age of 35. Oh, crikey. From what's believed to be pneumonia. Oh, no. And she rests in Graceland Cemetery in Chicago. Okay, cool. Yeah, it kind of cut short. Yeah. Kate Warren was named by Pinkerton as one of his top five agents he ever had. Hell yeah. In a time before women's suffrage, when women were not even allowed to be part of of police forces this is a pretty significant step forward yeah no kidding she was not only an accomplished agent and helped save the lives of one of the greatest american presidents but she also trained untold numbers of other women detectives truly a trailblazer trailblazer truly a trail (laughs) (laughs) don't you say it (laughs) truly a trailblazer no i can't say it (laughs) Definitely a trailblazer. And a damn good detective. Yeah. (laughs) That's fine. But unfortunately, after the Civil War, the Pinkerton Detective Agency would become famous not for its abolitionist founder, not for its protection of Abraham Lincoln, or its forward view on women and minorities. It would instead be known for engaging in some much more divisive actions. Yeah. But... Those are stories for another day, because we are at the end of the episode, Sarah. Oh, okay, fine. Did you enjoy this? I loved it. I, I, yeah, I don't think I'd ever heard, I'd heard a little bit about the Baltimore plot, yeah. but never anything about Kate. Okay. Yeah. It's a really cool story. Yes, it is. Yeah. So thank you for listening, everyone, and spending your day with us. Hope you found that story interesting, and if you did... Please rate, review, and subscribe to us on whatever podcast you are, platform you're listening to us on. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram for more content. We are Fantastic HPod on both. And shoot us an email at fantastichistorypod at gmail.com if you got any questions, suggestions, uh, comments, anything. Until next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.